Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cowan Kitchen, Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja. And my name is Jess Percival, Meme Connoisseur at Exposure Ninja. Love it. Um, so today we've got loads on the plate. Um, we've got some digital marketing news. We're talking about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. It's that time of year, uh, although it's been that time of year for quite some time. We'll talk about that. Uh, observations about going viral on TikTok. It's kind of interesting. It's been an interesting week for Tim's TikTok. We've got some Christmas ads discussions. We've got content marketing in 2023. Jess is going to share her brand of the week. And we're going to give you a bit of a marketing fail of the week as well. Let's kick off with some news, Jess. What's been catching your eye this week? Indeed. Well, one thing that you cannot ignore at all is Black Friday, Cyber Monday. But like you said, is it really news of this week or is it news for the entirety of November? Um, I mean, I'm getting ready for a Black Friday sale that's happening today on Thursday. So, you know, the rules have just been totally thrown out of the window. Um, yeah. yeah, it's I think you made a note here saying it's basically Black November. Now, it's not just that yes. one day. Well, I think some brands are actually calling it Black November. I, I was I was curious. I um I flicked through my emails and just did a search for Black Friday because I've got like a promotions email account where I just get loads of email marketing spam basically. And um, the earliest reference I could find to Black Friday sale was actually on the tenth of October. Um, and my fa my personal favorite Black Friday campaign this year was the rowing company Averon. They had a Black Friday sale which ended on the 9th of November. <laughs> so the sale ends before Black Friday. It just seems to be like Black Friday early access, Black Friday preview sales are now the norm and Black Friday is almost like, you know, the the end of the night when they're just playing the last song before everyone packs up and goes home. Yes. Where's this going? <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I was fe also feeling a little bit like, what is the point of this? But then I realized how stressed I am about the Gymshark sale today and was like, maybe it's quite nice to have a few more days so there isn't that immediate rush, websites crashing, feeling like you're going to be disappointed. So I do think part of it is good, but maybe they just need to reposition it, maybe have a bit of fun with it, you know, and make a joke of the fact you're doing your sale for the whole of November rather than just calling it a Black Friday sale. It just seems a little bit daft to me. There's an opportunity there. There is, there is. I think one of the questions um, retailers have got to ask is what the benefit is of continually pushing it forward. I guess it's one of those things where you want to get in there first because if people have a fixed amount of money that they're spending in the holiday season, you don't want to be you know, the last one and they've already spent their load and there's nothing left. There's talk, I know in the US, there's a retail group who's trying to bring in, uh, you know, 11-11 is, is Singles Day in China, which is a big yes. promotion day. And they're trying to bring in a 10-10 day, so bringing it forward all the way to October. But the data that I can see looks like what's happening, the further they bring Black Friday forward, it's basically just spreading out the holiday spend. It's not actually adding to holiday spend. And November is now, a, um, there's more retail sales going on in November than December, which is, is only flipped around a, a few years ago. So I think the question has got to be, 
if we dilute this so much, we actually lose the magic of Black Friday. The magic of Black Friday, I remember back in, you know, 2010 or something when Amazon really started pushing it. It was so exciting. You like look forward to it coming and then you log on on the day and you know there's only one day so you're going to spend a whole bunch of money. And that has kind of gone now. It's just like anticipated that you will get discounts in November. And that to me doesn't feel like the extra purchase that we're trying to make people make. That just feels like, well, guess what? You're going to get a discount on your Christmas shopping this year. Completely. It doesn't have that same urgency. You know, it's just Mm. doing a sale in November. It is just doing a sale in November. Um, Yeah. But anyway, it'd be really interesting to hear from listeners what you have planned for Black Friday for your business and what your take on it is. Are you trying to be the first one in people's inboxes to get some of that cash early up front? Or are you more of a sort of traditionalist like me? I guess ultimately the data is going to do the talking. So it'd be really interesting to get some takes from people um, who've actually been running these campaigns. Observations from going viral on TikTok. Jess, you've been on TikTok a while and you've had... You had a amazing post that went viral a while ago where you had like a tell us about it yeah i had a yeah i had a viral tiktok ages ago which i was using my spider catcher which is like a long pole with a grabber on the end that you can use to pick up spiders in your house and i just made the post i made the video originally to send to a partner at the time to be like look at this amazing thing that i have and then i posted on tiktok because i thought like my tone of voice and stuff was funny and then it just really popped off not quite as well as yours did i think mine has like 85k views or something but um very bizarre because you can put hours into a video and really think what is gonna hit what are people gonna enjoy and then i uploaded a video of a spider catcher i think with no hashtags and for some reason whether it was the shareability you know people were saying i need one of these sending it to their friends tagging their friends that's what got the viewership in um but yeah it's it's a double-edged sword for sure so okay before i take you through my story how did you feel the next tiktok you posted after that one blew up like what's going on in your mind are you like ah yeah i've set the standard high here almost no because it was like i don't know how to recreate this success Mm, and then when you do do the next one that you'd already let's say scheduled in or planned or recorded it doesn't hit the same and you're like what am i doing wrong and it's yeah. really bizarre. And also, whenever anybody followed me from the spider catcher TikTok, I was like, if you think this is what I'm going to post every day, they couldn't be further from the truth. So <laughs> it's a very interesting landscape on TikTok. Very different how people interact with you. It's a fleeting moment of interaction mm. rather than I've watched your YouTube video. I'm going to subscribe and I'm going to come back. It really is just a fleeting moment. That is a super interesting point. So, okay, I'm going to tell the story then. So in the morning in the Ninja Water Cooler, Dale posted a um, a, an article about Next, the the retailer Next buying made.com for 3.4, 3.6 million pounds. I I can't remember the exact number. It doesn't doesn't really matter. Anyway, my, my initial thought, as soon as I saw that was like, well, you know, the organic traffic is going to be worth more than that. So I posted something to that um, to that effect. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, there's something here. So I decided over lunch just to have a quick look on, on SEMrush and see what value the organic traffic actually had. And lo and behold, when you did the calculations, basically Next would have paid for this. They, they purchased the assets out of administration. So they got the domain, they got the um, the IP, and they got the brand. So they get the traffic. As long as, as long as they're smart with the SEO, they can keep the majority of that traffic. And even if it's branded traffic, they can, you know, they've bought the brand so they can produce made furniture or they can stick the made brand on next furniture, whatever, and then they can redirect that traffic. So there's no reason 
content that they need to lose much of that organic traffic. Although the sentiment might might be different after liquidation, whatever. Um, so I made a quick TikTok about it and it probably took like, I don't know, 10 minutes. I got some screenshots, did some green screen stuff and posted it. And I've posted a fair few TikToks before, but quite quickly, this one started to get traction. And it was really interesting. It was quite addictive watching it grow and seeing how the audience sort of evolved over time. So it started to get traction. And then it's like it was um, landing in pockets of different audiences. And it made me think a lot about how TikTok is finding audiences for its content. So when it first went live, it, it's, it's pretty SEO geeky stuff, right? I've often thought you could probably go viral on TikTok if you, if I just like walk downstairs and like smash my laptop against the piano or something, I'd probably go viral, right? But it's, there's no business value. So I'm like, oh, I want to keep it marketing. And this is a fairly geeky topic. This is like talking about the value of organic clicks. Like it's not that, you know, it's not exactly Francis Bourgeois it's 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 quite geeky and nerdy but what seemed to happen was tiktok was like finding new audiences for it because when i log back into the tiktok you see the um you see like a search bar at the top if if um not every video but sometimes you see a search bar at the top and it's got some words in which look to be how tiktok is categorizing this and this may or may not be related to the hashtag so at the start it was about like seo and then it turned to business marketing which is obviously a broader topic and then it turned to made.com and each time the topic seemed to change the 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 comments that were coming back and it's getting a lot of comments and feedback which we can talk about in a second the comments evolved over time so initially it was people saying like um oh you know great insight whatever some people saying yeah but the traffic is going to be mostly branded like there were clearly seo people and then it was more about like yeah but they didn't just buy made they you know they're going to be saddled with loads of debt which is incorrect they bought the assets but anyway that's another story but that indicates that someone's like into business right and then it eventually became i bought a table from made uh oh this is a real shame i love made's brand and next is gonna kill it and it's like the audience became more and more general and I can only assume that TikTok is like testing it against these larger audiences to see what happens and to see the engagement it got. Yeah, that's super interesting because I've noticed the little search bar at the top with the words in. And sometimes I'm like, that really feels like it relates to the video. And other times I'm like, how have they made that connection? But, also, but you going through it and explaining how it changed for you as the video wraps up millions of views is really, really fascinating. It gives a really interesting insight into the TikTok landscape as it were and and i've noticed with some other videos that have got maybe forty-five thousand or you know twenty thousand. sometimes tiktok seems to be struggling to identify the topic or the audience and the ones that have done best for me getting more than say five figures of views are ones where that topic actually matches what's in the video and i'm wondering if if TikTok is kind of misattributing the topic or misunderstanding the topic, if that is preventing it getting to the right audience to get traction. Um, the other thing that was really interesting was the comments and how the comments seem to fuel things, right? So when I'm making videos, I'm, I'm trying to add some sort of hook at some point just to catch that initial attention, stop the scroll. So in this one, I did a fake laugh. I was like, <laughs> to start the video. And people like picked up on it immediately. They're like, why are you doing that laugh? Or like, what's that laugh about? Or that laugh lol. And I'm like, great. Because what I'm thinking is if we can get people stopping the scroll, not only just watching the video, but then going to the comments to drop some comment. Well, while they're commenting and they're looking through to see how many other people have referenced the laugh, that video is just scrolling around in the background, which increases the average retention rate, which is going to show TikTok it's got high engagement. So the more I think about it, the more I'm sort of becoming a bit... Um, you know, 
it's almost like the, the algorithm is going to incentivize you to to be contentious or to leave an open loop in some way or to add in some sort of like mistake. I'm, I'm really glad I didn't make it super clear in the video that Next had bought the assets because there were so many people saying, yeah, but they're going to be inheriting debt or yeah, but that's not how they, they that's not how acquisitions work. And I'm like, yeah, I know exactly how it works. But the fact that there was that gap meant that everyone wanted to like show how smart they were in the comments, which is great because then it gets people talking and gets that conversation going. So, mate, I'm addicted to understanding and getting to the bottom of this. The analytical part of my brain is absolutely loving it. It's, it is <laughs> So, so fascinating. And I think TikTok is one of those places, I'm not an advocate for all publicity is good publicity. Definitely not. But on TikTok, if you do have something where people are leaving negative comments, you're kind of like, well, keep going. It'll push yeah. you to the algorithm. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's a little bit of that there that you kind of have to, you have to take a win in that regard. So yeah, that's really interesting. I'm really glad you shared that with us because um, it's great to hear it from, you know, exactly the start to all the way through its journey. Yeah. It's a viral video. Well, I'm going to see if we can, I'm going to see if we can replicate it. I've had some like decent videos since then. I've had some absolute like dead ones. And like you said, the amount of time and energy you put into it does not, does not correlate with the results at all. It seems to be one of those things where you just, you just throw a whole bunch of stuff against the wall and some of it's going to pick up and fly and some of it's, and some of it's not, and you just can't get too precious about it. Completely. Um, it's a great yeah. summary of TikTok right there. <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, you've, men you've mentioned the, the comments and the vibe and the sort of community spirit on TikTok is unlike any other social network I've played on. Like people will just say whatever they think. If people think I look stupid, they'll just say you're stupid. Yeah. There's just no fear. This is just you're yeah. going to have it. <laughs> I'll upload videos and people will just comment no. And I'm like, okay, then, you know, it's just like, cool. So I think, yeah, if, if you, um, if you can't take a little bit of that flack, be gentle with yourself on TikTok, um, because it yeah. is just people saying whatever they want, whenever they want. And I've said as well, YouTube shorts brings it to a whole other level. Wow. You find out things you didn't even know about yourself on YouTube Shorts. Uh, <laughs> so right. yeah, yeah, be careful on that one as well. <laughs> well, that sounds enlightening. Um, Christmas ads. Here we are, mid-November. Black Friday's sort of come and gone, <laughs> so it's time for Christmas ads. They're out. <laughs> what, what have you been seeing with Christmas ads so far, Jess? Yeah, so there's a few that I. Oh, I'm one of these, Tim. I look forward to them. I know it's a bit cringe, but I am on those people. So when I hear. Oh, the John Lewis advert's out. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to go have a look at that. Um, so there's a couple I've seen that stood out to me, which was like John Lewis, the Disney one, the Asda one. Um, but other than that, I haven't really engaged with loads more. Actually, what was funny is I saw the McDonald's one come up and was like, I've already seen that, but it was actually the Disney one. So I don't know if that says something about those two companies and how McDonald's normally positions themselves. Um, but I enjoyed them, but I think you have a little bit of a... You did a bit more of an analysis in oh. your brain and have come to a really interesting conclusion that now I've heard it, I'm like, yeah, I get that completely. Oh, this is when I uh, this is when I become dangerously cynical. So you posted the John Lewis. The first one I saw was the John Lewis one. You posted it in the Ninja Wars caller and yeah. said this brought a tear to your eye. And it was I think I said I was bawling, actually. You're bawling. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's that's multiple tears, right? So and and it was a story of a middle-aged man who's learning to skateboard, right? And the whole time you're watching it, you're thinking, why is he doing this? And you become invested in it. You're like, this guy's like lost his mind. He's just 
like he's trying to recapture his youth or whatever and you feel yourself being a bit like what's going on here and then the hook at the end is that or the 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 outcome at the end is that he's doing this because I think they're taking someone in, right? They're fostering someone, is it? And the yeah. person that they're fostering is also into skateboarding. So he's like doing it as a way to connect. Is, have I remembered that it's right? It's something like that. It could be that, or it could be that he was already doing this and struggling. And then mm. this child's come into their lives and he's like, oh, we, we both do that thing. And it's like yeah. that little connection um, that made it all worth his falling over and stuff. But there's this seems to be the theme, right? I think there's a similar thing with Aldi's ad where it's it's focusing on a cause. It's not just like a festival of consumerism and how can we, you know, get Elton John and cover him in money and then just make everyone buy stuff. It's yeah. it's like they're using the Christmas ad as a platform for a cause. And you know that there's like a thing in Friends. My wife always does. Anybody ever do a, a like a really good deed? The argument is no, because they're doing it for some sort of like benefit, feeling warm or fuzzy. And yeah. the way I see it, right, these these companies are spending so much money on these ad placements. This is like a whole year's worth of planning and filming and shooting. This is a huge thing. And the cynical marketing part of my brain is I would love to sit into the in the brainstorming sessions here. Do they split test the causes that they're going to be using? This is clearly a strategic decision by someone to say, if we focus on the cause, overall our brand is going to get an uplift which is more advantageous to us than if we focused on pure encouraging consumerism. So yeah, that's the cynical part of me is like, they're just they're piggybacking they're basically using the fostering that you know they're basically using that for their own gain right because if they just purely wanted to help people who are fostering they would take the budget from the christmas ad and put it into fostering or they would start the john lewis fostering foundation or whatever the fact that they're using this as a way of saying look how much we care look how good we are look how you know conscious we are just feels a little bit Mm, I'm not 100% bought in. Yeah. I think this topic's, no, I think this topic's going to come up quite a lot today because we are seeing a lot of this sort of look how good we are mm. and then not putting, not actually putting the, not doing the work, not putting their money where their mouth is. As yes. they say. Um, and sort of to um, boost your cynicism, um, <laughs> I did notice a lot of the, it's the same cause across a lot of different companies it's very very children focused it's children in need it's fostering charities it's you know a lot to do with children and yeah. it almost makes me think that yes they have done focus groups and found out that people are worried about children's experiences at christmas and then that's been the focus um so yeah very very fascinating for sure and I guess there's an argument that says maybe it doesn't matter, right? As long as we're raising awareness for these things and if it encourages more donations to them, then that's great. But it just doesn't seem like like that was the goal. Um, yeah. Can't wait and, to get to my marketing fail because this absolutely uh, covers this topic again. So, <laughs> I, th I think the wider question, right, for people who are listening and for all of us who are marketing is what's how do we find our line, right? So Explosion Ninja, we're in the process of becoming a B Corp. And one of the most interesting things to me about this process has been that some people, when we tell them this, their natural response has been, oh, right, well, this is like a, this is a marketing expense. This is a marketing activity. You're becoming a B Corp as a way of getting more customers. And in our case, that is literally not the reason. Like I have, I will probably make a, an Instagram post about it and say, hey, we're now a B Corp. But 
the reason that we're doing this from, from, from my perspective is that we have so many people that believe in the causes which B Corp sort of sort of umbrellas over that i want us to be a place where our team are really like that they're, they're motivated and they they are like they, they like where they work i think it's really important that people work somewhere that they actually like i think we're doing it as a way of saying to our people like this is the direction we're going in we're not just the we don't exist just for profit we exist for impact and impact has lots of different meanings and we care about loads of them so i personally wouldn't use like exposure ninja as a b corp you're not going to see like b corp logos all over our, our stuff I mean, you know you go to courts the bank in london there's a massive b corp that's like almost as big as their logo the question i think we all need to ask is how much do we market the things that we care about how much do we exploit our cause work do we shout about the fact that we're donating to charities or do we just get on with it and just do it? Because there is an argument that the more you shout about it, the more you make it normal, which encourages other people to do it. But I feel really sort of conflicted because my tendency is to just do this stuff in the dark. I don't know, what are you thinking? Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult line to walk. And I think it, the message can become muddled if it becomes, if it starts from a good place and grows from there, awesome. If it starts from a marketing place, then yeah. I think it probably, I think that's probably the wrong way to go about it. And we do see a lot of brands that all of a sudden are shouting about a cause that just doesn't align with what they're about. And it becomes, mm. it feels very disjointed. You spot it right away and you go, mm, that feels a bit wrong. And then you get that negative sentiment. Like you were saying about seeing the B Corp logo. When I see that on certain websites, I'm like, are you really though you know I'm like <laughs> do you really feel that way um right. so yeah i think you have to be careful that it's not gonna make people cynical about things yeah. like b corp so, this yeah. i mean i know we've got like a not to try and manufacture a trend of today's episode but <laughs> the TikTokification of online communities where people will just say whatever they think makes me you know these people will say whatever they think they don't care if they're right they don't care if they're wrong it's just my opinion and i'm just gonna shove it into your comments section and i'm wondering if you know brands are gonna have to be more careful about these things because people will look under the surface and they'll start to dig in a little bit anyway we're going to cover this a bit more in the marketing <laughs> fails later on so indeed, don't want to steal indeed. that glory this week's video that posted was content marketing in 2023 wasn't it um it so we basically broke down a content repurposing model that you can use and this came from um there are so many different social channels there are so many different content platforms now that if you really want to go for it if you really want to be seen across all these different platforms it's a massive amount of work isn't it you've got like well you've got every platform and then now every platform has multiple different formats so even if you're doing well on youtube are you doing shorts even if you're doing well on tiktok are you doing well on tiktok they've got their like now replacement even if you're doing well on instagram are you doing stories are you doing reels and it's just like it's completely exhausting and overwhelming the number of places that you're supposed to be posting so this content repurposing model is a way that you can shortcut that by focusing on building out one long form piece which suits the style of your business or the style of the people who talk on behalf of your business and then gives you a sort of breakdown approach that you can use to work out what your priorities are and make sure that you're covering all the bases um it's an overwhelming situation for today's marketer isn't it really i think completely there's just yeah infinite options and if you're not just a digital company then you've got to factor in all the traditional elements there as well and you know we do see quite often that a lot of companies just have 
a marketer and then it's like can you do tiktok can you do social media can you do brochures can you do proofreading website are you a web developer can you design and you're like oh <laughs> my god there's just no time to do anything um and yeah i think having a content model like this is just so so helpful i was even watching the video and thinking this would work really well for personal branding and doing linkedin posts mm. doing a longer linkedin article and then cutting it down into shorter snappier posts you know there's so many different ways you can use it even if you are only focusing on a couple of platforms, I think the video is worth a watch anyway, because it changes the way you think about your content process as a whole. Someone asked a really good question. They're basically um, a, an expression of frustration. This is chaos. Like, How am I supposed to do all this? I'm also running a business. And I think that's a great question, isn't it? Because you can spend, let's say you, you go on YouTube and you're like, all right, I'm gonna learn some digital marketing. You go into Gary V and Gary V convinces you, right, 10 TikToks a day is the key to success. All right, uh, 10 TikToks a day, got it. You go onto Explosion Ninja. Right, we need to build out this huge knowledge base on our site. We need to get email marketing automations. We need to make sure we're posting on our socials. We need to be doing Google ads. Okay, got it, right, all of those. And then you go somewhere else and you're like, right, I've got to start a podcast, got it. And then you go back to your desk and right, I've got, 692 pieces of content I need to produce today. Oh, and I've got to run my business as well. So I've got like 20 minutes to do all the content and then I've got, it's completely unrealistic to expect you need to go in all of these places. And I think the biggest mistake that people make is that they assume they need to do all of them. Right? Jeff Bezos built Amazon without posting a single TikTok, right? You're gonna be okay. You don't need, you don't need to do it. You're not gonna, your business isn't gonna fail. You only really need one or two platforms to go particularly well, ideally, at least two so you're not like over reliant on any one algorithm but you only really need one or two platforms to go well to make a really significant business we've helped businesses grow over eight figures just using organic search on google like that's their only weapon of choice and that's been enough to blow them up there are loads of cases like that so you don't need to do everything the key is to pick the ones that firstly where your audience is at and where your audience is at when they're ready to buy so it's no good if you're selling like i don't know there's going to be obviously there's going to be exceptions to the rule but let's say you're selling like ball bearings to nasa right you don't necessarily need to be dominating tiktok for ball bearing TikTok manufacturing video. <laughs> That's okay, you could dominate somewhere else. You could dominate on LinkedIn, you could dominate on organic search, you could dominate on visibility and industry publications. Like there are, there are better uses of your time, I guess. So just because these are all the ways that you can play doesn't mean that you have to do it. And I think the key is just focus and prioritization because if you're a shiny object syndrome person like me or a lot of marketers, you're gonna get pulled in all these different directions and it's gonna take you away from the thing that's actually gonna drive the business hardest. Definitely, definitely. Just, yeah, reel it in and go where your audience is, not just to the platforms that you like. <laughs> yes. you, even if you have a great idea, you might not be your target audience or you might have made assumptions. That is such a good point. That is such a good point, yeah. very. I think very few of us are our target audience. Don't just assume because you are addicted to TikTok that yeah. your customers are going to be addicted to TikTok. One day they will be, but it might not be for five years and you don't want to be smashing your head against the brick wall for five years uh, when they ain't there. Jess, who's your brand of the week this week? Who have you been enjoying? Very excited about this. So I had a totally different brand. And then when I was in my one-to-one -one with Dale yesterday, all of a sudden I was like, oh, we need to talk about Tumblr. We need to talk about Tumblr. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I changed the whole thing. Save the other brand for next week. Um, but yeah, so for those who don't know Tumblr or haven't heard that name for a long time and need a refresher, Tumblr is like a blogging website and social network. It was very popular 
with like people who are quite nerdy or people who are part of communities but not quite in the same raw way that they are on Reddit. Um, it was a lot more colourful, a lot more personal, somewhat anonymous um, and was very, very popular sort of during the 2010s. Um, I'm definitely somebody who's been on Tumblr for a significant <laughs> number of years. Um, and the reason they caught my eye this week was because of the way they've sort of trend jacked the Twitter situation, but done it in a really positive way. Like they could have very much kicked Twitter down and stomped on them and been like, this website is rubbish. <laughs> come to Tumblr, but they haven't really done that. Yes, they've poked fun, but their whole thing hasn't been come to Tumblr because Twitter sucks. Mm. You know, they've been like, come to Tumblr because we actually offer all these things. And I think you can fall into a trap as marketers of thinking, right, there's this negative thing happening. How can we jump on this? And it can get a bit, I don't know, it can just kind of be based off of drama. And I feel like Tumblr yeah. hasn't done that. But for those who don't know about Tumblr's history, they've really had a rocky, rocky few years. They sold to Yahoo in 2013 for $1.1 billion and in 2019 resold to WordPress for $3 million. Wow. Um, which is... Wow, that is a down valuation yeah, of the $1 billion to $3 million. Um, and there was a, you know, there was a few different controversies that happened with Tumblr, but I think people just outgrew it and it stopped being the website that people felt it was. Um, and what's happened recently is Tumblr has a presence on Twitter, on their brand account, and they saw whispers and murmurs that people were saying, well, we could go to Tumblr instead of Twitter. Yeah. And they really ran with that. You know, Ryan Reynolds joined Tumblr and they were like, this is our moment. But they haven't needed to destroy Twitter's image in the process which I think is a really great lesson from here. We see a lot of marketing that's very much like, buy from us because we're not them. Yeah. And that's not what Twitter have done. You know, they, yeah, they've just really done a fantastic job. You know, they've made a thread about like, and this was on November 6th. Now I can't remember the exact day that Elon sort of did the move, but I think it was around around that week that it was That's like- Quite early, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they shared a thread basically sharing reasons to move to Tumblr and really sold their unique selling points. You know, there were a few things that were like, you can, you have more of a character limit, you can share more photos, things that Twitter doesn't offer, but they didn't say Twitter doesn't do this. They just said, yeah. this is a thing that we do, which was just fantastic fantastic um, and they also catered to their existing audience making in jokes making sure their existing customers weren't going to feel like tumblr are just oh we'll get rid of these people and take all the twitter people they've still got their core and their target audience that they're focusing on and they're not trying to be twitter they're still being tumblr which i just think is fantastic but yeah some of the other things they covered were saying all your posts are in chronological order which i know was a big thing on Twitter, big controversy. They've also very smartly got a landing page just for people on Twitter that says, let's see if your Twitter handle is available. And you can type in your Twitter handle and start your signup process through that, which I just thought was really, just really neat. Like it's such a quick and easy thing to do. You know, it's all bird themed like Twitter with using the Twitter blue, which is a little bit cheeky, but it is what it is. Um, and they also did their own blue check mark system as a joke. Tumblr are well known already for selling useless things on the website, such as you can spend money to send loads of crab emojis to somebody's Tumblr for the entire day. So every time they use Tumblr, 
the whole screen is just filled with crab emojis and you know that it's a useless purchase and that's what they've done with the check marks and as a result people are buying the check marks seeing that you can buy an infinite number and sharing them on twitter and then it's getting even more and more and more traction and it's just they've been so so smart they've kept it relatable to their business they haven't stepped on twitter they're still focused on their target audience and the biggest one for me is that they're doing all this on Twitter hmm. like they're doing it in the place that people are leaving whereas I think we've all if we're involved in Twitter at all we've all heard the name Mastodon um, in the past few weeks and I noticed they're not on Twitter they're, they don't have any presence on any social media if I was Mastodon I would be on Twitter you know explaining why you should be going over to Mastodon I've seen people asking how to use the platform saying it's confusing I would be on Twitter replying in those threads and explaining to people you know, this is how you use it. This is why you should come to our platform if you're thinking of leaving Twitter. So I think, yeah, it's super, super important to, as we said before, meeting people where they are, your audience that you're trying to grab exists on Twitter. So you want to be on Twitter, grabbing them from there. But I do have to say the risk that they pose is that if they take the joke too far, it's gonna stop being funny. Um, and we see that very, very often with brands, unfortunately, where they find a joke or find something that really works for them. And then they just keep running it and running it and running it. And so you're like, oh, we're over this now, you know, <laughs> shut up, basically silence brand. Um, but yeah, I just was really excited to talk about that and how they've taken um, a newsworthy topic and used it to their own, you know, used it for their game, but in a really positive way. And I think that the temptation for people listening to this will be like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't see how like my brand relates to that. I see loads of parallels here with the, you know, um, like a competitor brand advertising on Google, for example. So if you type in Salesforce alternative, you get a whole bunch of different stuff. And it ranges from websites or, or brands that will say, you know, we're way better than Salesforce or like Salesforce, but cheaper and better user interface. So they'll like, go for the jugular, they'll really dig in where it hurts and they'll call out Salesforce by name. And then you get others that are just like super soft and they're just like, hey, we're here. And they don't even mention the competitor at all. So I think this shows that it's possible to, to make a compelling argument for someone to switch over from another competitor without digging in too hard, but being very conscious of the reasons that people would be leaving that competitor in the first yes. place. Absolutely, absolutely. Because else you, you run the risk of being in a situation where you've said, we're better than this other thing. And then people do move to you and do mm. spend their money with you and then go, oh, but actually I kind of like this thing on, on this other place. And then if your whole brand is not being the other thing, that's all that's, yeah. that you're going to be, you have none of your own merit. It's interesting that you mentioned ads because I was thinking of supermarkets. If you went to search, I went to supermarkets for whatever reason, <laughs> but you know, they really are brutal. You know, they'll show a shopping trolley yeah. with the color of the supermarket and compare it with theirs, with their colors, and it's always better. Um, and yeah, I think people, people want positivity. They really do. There's a lot of negativity. We want to see the positive side. And I think, yeah, much as you might be like, well, I'm not a big web blogging website. There is so many ways that you can use these kind of trends to position yourselves really well in your industry. The supermarkets example is really interesting. We, we touched a bit on um, positioning supermarket tone of voice 
particularly during a recession in a recent recession webinar and it strikes me that it's a very dangerous game to start playing is to be that we are cheaper than our competitors especially when you see a brand which maybe like Sainsbury's which for those who are outside the UK Sainsbury's are sort of I don't know you say they're like a mid-range supermarket and they're a lot of their advertising their marketing recently has been trying to position themselves as actually we're the same price as some of the the low price discount supermarkets which it's quite dangerous, it's quite a high stakes game to play because like you say, if that's what you're known for in your customer's mind is we're the cheapest and then they come into the store and they're like, nah, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> then, yeah. then there's nothing else, there's nothing to fall back on because you've just, you know, you've, you've lost your credibility there. Whereas if you have a different position, which is maybe, you know, when you, when you want to treat yourself or, um, you know, there, there used to be taste of difference, which is implying some sort of elevated offering. And then you say, oh, you know, we're, we're better, we're actually comparable price. Then it's a very different thing. And it's, it seems like a much easier position to, um, easier and higher profit margin position to sort of reinforce than something which is very much price focused. So I think we've got to be careful about the fights that we pick, haven't we, and how sustainable they are in the long term. Yes, 100%, 100%. I have uh, an Exposure Ninja campaign of the week for you, Jess. This is a um, really interesting one, actually. I've just been, uh, we've just been researching. We're going to enter these in an award. And it's an email marketing campaign. Now, I find email marketing fascinating because it happens behind the scenes, right? SEO, we can throw people into a tool. Facebook ads, we've got a Facebook ad library. Most digital marketing today happens out in the open, whereas email marketing happens underground. It happens underneath the surface. And I think that means it doesn't get as much attention as it deserves. We've built our entire business on email marketing and specifically on email automations and having automated flows that happen, which allows to scale sales process and build a community and all this type of stuff. And I think because it happens behind the scenes, it gets deprioritized a lot. We think of emails and people really still do email. Yeah, people really still do emails. So this this business sells um, ergonomic furniture. So like office chairs and, you know, sit stand tables and stuff. Um, the email marketing piece of their campaign has been relatively small. So I think 1200 to 1500 pounds per month. So it's very, very small investment for this business. And it hasn't been at that every month. I think it's actually dropped lower than that um, as we've focused more in other areas of their marketing, which again is one of the powers of email marketing. Once you set up automated flows, it's kind of in there and it's working all the time and you don't need to be doing it every single, you know, every single day, which is exactly what we did for these, these guys. So we set up uh, different automations for different types of email subscribers that they'd get. So new, when someone lands on the site, you know, you get a pop-up for a discount code or whatever, you capture the email, what happens then? Um, if someone browses and they go to the checkout, but they don't check out, like what happens then? If someone signs up on a blog, like what happens then? So all of these different flows need to be designed and automated. We gave an incentive to get the subscriber. So, you know, when you log, when you first go onto the site and it says, get money off, whatever, what's the incentive? We need to make sure that incentive is high enough to get people to drop their email in, even if they're not purchasing. Now for this business, the price point is fairly high. This isn't like a, uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely not competing at the low end. So we found that email marketing has been a really good way of emphasizing the value add, why people should consider spending more than they were thinking on their furniture and explaining the ergonomics, almost like teaching and educating the consumer why the products were more valuable than maybe other things that they would have been considering. And this has worked so well. So 
the automations that we'd set up were profitable within the first 30 days, which is basically unheard of for most digital marketing channels. This is like email marketing automations, some of the fastest ROI things you can do. Within the first six months, 100K of additional revenue through these sequences, primarily through this welcome sequence, which is all about education, and it's contributing 14% of their revenue. Now, the, the most interesting thing for me is how it changes the economics of all other marketing that we do on the site, because every email subscriber who fills in that pop-up is worth 20 pounds to them. And that means that we don't, we no longer have one conversion goal when we're driving PPC traffic, like, oh, do they make a purchase? No, then there's no value in that person to us. That person is just dead. It's, do they make a purchase? No. Okay, but they became a subscriber. Great. Well, we know that person is going to be worth £20. So it completely changes the economics for them and allows them to be a lot more confident, a lot more front foot with the PPC. And because these are automated, it's built once, it's set up, and then you can basically forget about it. Of course, you want to refine and optimize, but that's done now that we're, we're still running Exposure Ninja on sequences that you know I built in 2014, basically. So these things are really, uh, you know, build it once and, and then it's as close to, I hate the word passive income in marketing, bad vibes, <laughs> but it's as close as you can get to passive marketing. So I, I just love the simplicity of it. Yeah, totally agree. I love email marketing. I think I love when people say email is dead and I'm like, well, actually, this many people open their emails, you know, I think it was, it, there's this unbelievable figure that's like 50% of people make purchase every month because of the emails that they've had. That might be, 50% might be wrong, but I still, it was around, it might've been higher. Yeah. If anything, it was higher. Um, and I think it's totally true. Like, I really think that it it's, makes a huge difference. And it's one of those, again, just because you don't use your emails or mm. don't, you know, respond to marketing emails, other people do. I regularly make purchases because of emails I've had. You know, just because it was an offer I didn't know about or, you know, I just forgot. Like, I am one of these people that put stuff in the basket and then forgets. So when I get that basket abandonment email, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, you know. And yeah, I think please do email marketing. And like Tim said, it's a little bit set and forget. And it works so well for you. If you put quality emails together, it's working 24 hours a day. It's just fab. I think it's great. That's, that's it, is it? It's the quality, right? People don't read boring emails. People don't read spam emails. But, you know, I don't check Facebook ever. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't check LinkedIn. A lot of people don't check whatever. Everyone checks their emails. Like if you're, if you're good enough to get through into the primary tab, and you can get in front of people and you get in front of them with something interesting. Like some of the sequences in this, um, in, in this client example has 70% open rate. This is like 1996 open rates. That's this is amazing. just ludicrous. But if people are interested and if you're telling them stuff that they're actually, you know, curious about, you can get really good results with email just as you always have done. I think the, the stuff that doesn't get any sort of response at all is like, it's just we just become numb to it, don't we? We've got a few options. When I used to give a seminar on email, I'd be like, right, we think of email as people, you know, the beautiful picture of the lady who goes into her kitchen office and it's all it's all white and she opens her laptop and she's like, let me just check my email. This is the situation that we think people are in when they're reading our emails. Like they are fully focused on our email. No, it's like the guy on the toilet or someone who's in the break in Love Island and they're like, I, I can't tolerate these ads, like just give me something to scroll through and yeah. your email is your Twitter feed now. And they're just thinking, what can I delete? Like, What can I ignore? What's safe to ignore? So we just need to get ourselves calibrated correctly with where people are actually reading email. And if we can do that and be interesting enough to them, then there's no reason that email isn't a decent channel. 
completely agree completely agree very very passionate about email do email if you're not already please yes yeah if you do <laughs> nothing else that exposure ninja ever tells you to do just set up some automations based on new subscribers and figure out how you can run what we call indoctrination sequences to educate them about you give them testimonials give them case studies but not in a salesy way and it'll work great okay jess marketing fail of the week this is a Indeed. this is a classic it is a classic and we've seen this a lot from this company so Brewdog, will probably be in our marketing fail quite regularly and don't don't deny they're a good business you know we've written no. about them before we've made videos about them before there's a lot of good but unfortunately they trip over quite regularly um so they've made a statement coming out against the world cup and said because um of you know human rights violations and stuff that's a lot in the news i won't go into too much detail about that but i'm sure you can find out more about that on your favorite search engine um but they came out and said they are anti-sponsors of the world cup they don't support the things that are going on over in qatar and all revenue rather than just profits all revenue made from sales of their lost beer and special cans i think it's special cans online lost beer in their bars will go towards vague charities that go towards human rights but they are still showing the world cup in their bars and this is what i was saying earlier about that disconnect between businesses and causes you can say all you want about donating but if you're not actually making the moves then people are not going to take it well um, mm. i mean they've even got on their website you know they've got this world cup page the heading is 100 live football zero percent qatari corruption and then the copy is like whoever you're supporting there's a brew dog fan zone for you the big game's live you know what and it's just really really strange and and then I, the header image says drink brew dog kill carbon that's the other thing i was like and th but there's a football so it seems like they were like oh well we've what? got this image with a football that's got this shirt in it we'll just use this um but it's i've just wrote it's so bizarre and disjointed like it's one of those that you look at it and you're like what are you doing what are you doing um and i totally understand from the business point of view the fear is if we don't show these games people will not come and spend money with us in our bars you know and they're saying lots of people will come visit us if we're showing the world cup therefore we'll sell more of this one specific drink may i add and then we'll make more money for our non-specific charities. Mm. But the way that I would do this and the opportunities that I see is that they have so many ways they can connect with new audiences, new customers, or existing customers who aren't football fans. And yeah. a lot of the sentiment in their comments is like, oh, football's very punk, or, you know, they feel like football isn't even connected to Brewdog's values anyway. You know, they don't think it really fits in with their image. So you know, there's so much stuff they could do, so many interesting events, whether that's still football-related events, but just not World Cup-related events that could bring in a whole new audience to these people, well, to this business, and really place them as people who say something and really mean it. Um, mm. And like, that would bring someone like me, who isn't a beer drinker, that would make me feel more affinity towards the brand and think, I'm gonna buy from Brewdog when I am buying beer for people who drink beer and spend that extra money and make that choice. And whereas stuff like this, it's, as I said, there's a disconnect between the statement they're making and the actions that they're actually taking. This is super interesting. And it is. It, it got, the first time I heard about this was when it kicked off against Brewdog. So it's almost like one of those where they got more attention for not being 
fully consistent with the message that they're putting out than they actually did for the message in the first place. Yeah. And I, I, all publicity is good publicity. Uh, yeah, I, I, that does not exist. That, <laughs> that is not a thing. So the first stuff I saw was like they posted these billboards of, um, you know, th their ads and they posted these billboard mock-ups and then a whole bunch of designers have been like, right, that's a stock image of a billboard. Yeah. You posted that billboard, you just photoshopped something. and. That's the danger, right? Is that all of this looks like they've just tried to find a common enemy and go, yeah, look at Qatari corruption. It's so bad. Like we're the champions of anti-Qatari corruption. And they've just tried to layer that message over existing business operations. Like they sell beer in Qatar, like just normal daily operations without being fully consistent. Like you say, it's the B Corp badge on the website and people go, mm, yes, not quite sure that's fully like thought through and that's the danger here isn't it i think like you said brewdog have done so much cool stuff they are so willing to take a stand and willing to be passionate about stuff it just feels a little bit lazy and a bit careless to just think it's a bit like when you see brands or politicians railing against uh like a, a weak defenseless enemy it's it's not really an enemy they're not really taking a stand like nobody thinks that corruption is good whether or not you think qatar is corrupt is, is another story but by railing against corruption they look like they're taking a stand but really it's, it's like a common sense position but you can only fail from there if people dig in beneath the surface and are like yeah not quite sure you're fully into this very yeah it's it's very disjointed and i would say for anybody who is thinking about making a stand for a cause make sure that the whole business aligns and all your activity mm. does align and yes it is it is a publicity stunt it is but i'm just thinking of the positive outcomes that would have come from them taking a different approach and choosing mm. not to show the world cup and choosing to you know, I wrote down just a few ideas quickly. You know, I'm sure their marketing team could, could have come up with even better stuff, but like, you know, safe spaces for people who don't normally feel comfortable attending football games, people who want to understand football, but feel like they're too old to ask, you mm. know, events for women. There's so much different stuff yeah. that they could have done that would have reached a whole new audience and they just haven't taken advantage of that at all. And they're just doing the same, they're just supporting the same audience that everybody else is and it's just yeah. yeah odd very odd it makes I, th I think that there is a danger um that i know that james from brewdog is a very very strong character in the business and is very you know well known as the face of it and and there's been times in expo obviously explosionism nowhere near the scale of brewdog nowhere near the reach but there's been times when i've like sanity checked an idea against the team and the team has been like this isn't going to land how you thought and this feels like one of those where they've not anticipated the consequences they've thought that you know anti-corruption everyone's just gonna you know the linkedin post and everyone stands up and claps and it's just not been that way at all and it feels like someone there's like a a, a lack of willingness to listen or ask questions or just take this to a like a focus group of the young people and just throw it up on TikTok. TikTok's going to rip this to pieces in five minutes. And then, yes. you know, right, we're not going to run it. <laughs> yeah. It feels like they haven't done that sort of sanity check step. Yeah. And I think really the lesson here is just make sure everything aligns. Yeah. You know, if you are going to come out against the World Cup, don't then show the World Cup in all your bars. Yeah. It just seems to be very straightforward. But yeah, sanity check your ideas with other team members, diverse team members, team members you wouldn't necessarily always speak to about these things That's and it. see what they think. Not people just from your marketing team, people from all over the business. 
Um, yeah. And I think that'll, that'll help you get a better view of, you know, how people might react and whether it's actually a good idea. And it's much, it might take longer, but it will save you a lot of money if it's the wrong idea. Yeah. So. If they talk like you, act like you, look like you, that's not a focus group. That's an echo chamber. And yeah, yeah that is a, gr- a great, great point to end on. Um, before we end, though, we are introducing a new feature to the podcast. By the way, thanks for all the feedback. Um, it's been amazing uh, to hear that people like this new format. If you still like the new format and you want to contribute, we're introducing a new marketing question of the week thing so you can ask us a question uh, i'm not sure how people are supposed to ask the question so i'm going to suggest drop us a question in the um in the itunes review section or if you're on youtube we, we have this on our youtube uh explosion ninja podcast channel drop us a question in the in the comments or maybe you can email me tim at explosion ninja we need to find out a, a way of doing this but yeah <laughs> any question about digital marketing just throw it at us somehow and we will probably hear it and if it's a good question, which we think has broader appeal than other questions, then hey, we will answer it on the show. So yeah, just hit us up with any digital marketing question you have. It can be wacky, it can be crazy, it can be really tough. You've got a really difficult question, um, but obviously try to Definitely. make it have broad appeal. Um, ask yeah. us the awkward questions that you can't normally ask. We will answer them brutally. <laughs> yeah, we will answer them brutally. Yeah, we'll we'll focus group them first to check that they're gonna land how we thought they would. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Jez, thanks, mate. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. See you next. <laughs>